This episode is brought to you by BitMEX, the OG crypto exchange that is back and better than ever. You'll hear more about BitMEX later in the show. Hey everyone, quick reminder, nothing said on Empire is a recommendation to buy or sell securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our opinions, not financial advice. Santiago and I and our guests may hold positions in the companies, funds, or projects discussed. Now, let's get into the show. What up, what up, what up? We've got a weekly roundup for the first time in a couple of weeks. Uh, Santi, the man, the myth, the legend, is back. Uh, we had too many good guests that we were bringing on the show. So we uh, paused on the roundups for a little bit, but we got a lot of really good feedback in uh, both the DMs and in the Discord that... Uh, you guys wanted to hear more roundups, and so we're back with the roundups, and we're going to keep doing these. We're going to get back to doing these every week. So, Santi, welcome back. Yeah, my friend. It's good to be back. Uh, we haven't forgotten about the roundups, uh, so we're here. We're thinking about it. So this is going to be a big roundup. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of stuff going on, as always. But, um, yeah, uh, let's yeah. get started. Cool. Amazing. All right, here's what we're talking about today. Optimism. Um, optimism has what I think is one of the most interesting experiments going on in governance today. They did an airdrop, but it is much more than an airdrop. Uh, there's also the Bored Ape hack on Instagram. Um, we might talk about that. We might also talk about some stuff with stablecoins going on and some competitors to UST coming out. Obviously, Justin Sun is uh, trying to have his hand in that pot. Um, there's a little thing and, and everything else that it gets traction and, and everything else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, osmosis, uh, is voting, um, uh, for a bridging solution, uh, figuring out what they're doing there. So we might t touch on that. And of course, uh, the Elon Musk Twitter acquisition is going down. We might talk about that as well, but before we do, I have to plug permissionless, um, permissionless is going to be the event of the year. We will have around 7,000 attendees uh, for anyone who bought or minted your permi. Congrats to you. We minted them at around one ETH. Uh, they shot up to about seven ETH and I think they're trading today around four ETH. So uh, Santi, congrats. I know you snagged one. Um, and then just the speaker list is crazy. We've got Chris Dixon, Do Kwan, Vlad Tenev, the CEO of Robinhood is making a fun little announcement on stage. Uh, Justin Drake, Sandeep, Lee Jin, Jiho, Nick Carter, Hasib from Dragonfly, uh, Santi, here's your pretty face on the page, Kyle Samani, Eric oh, wow. Peters from One River. Um, we have Chief Product Officer of Coinbase. We've got Kane from Synthetics. Man, stacked. Rob Leshner of Compound. Obviously, mm -hmm. Selkis is going to bring the fire on stage. Jim Bianco for the macro crowd. Uh, Tarun, Matt Hogan, Amy Oldenburg, who's amazing, head of emerging markets at Morgan Stanley. So hmm. we got a stacked lineup. Oh, we just had... um. Emma Norchet, really interesting speaker. People might not have heard of Emma recently. She is uh, at the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. They are speaking publicly about their crypto investments for the first time ever at Permissionless. Super excited to hear the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. So get your ticket if you haven't already. Get your ticket. Permissionless. Head over to the BlockWorks website. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Um, optimism. Optimism is, an, is a roll-up solution on ETH. They are the second biggest uh, L2, um, I think, behind Arbitrum. Uh, they recently announced their new token, OP, and the Optimism Collective on Tuesday. So on April 26th, they announced this. Uh, real high level, and then we'll get into it. They are airdropping 5% of their initial supply to 267,000 addresses. 
little alpha here. This includes not just folks who have used Optimism, but anyone who's, uh, you know, it includes Gitcoin donors, bridge users, multi-sig signers, snapshot voters. So it's really worth checking to see if you qualify for this drop, even if you haven't used Optimism before. A little alpha for you. Um, I think the most interesting thing here is not just the token, but actually it's more about their uh, what they're doing around governance. So the Optimism Collective is going to be governed by two different houses. And here's what you need to know. The first is the token house. The second is the citizen house. So the token house uh, established really by this first airdrop. And by the way, there's going to be multiple airdrops. Token holders can vote on protocol upgrades, project incentives, and more things like that. That looks a little more uh, traditional like an airdrop. The second is where it gets really interesting. This is the citizen house, which is going to be launched later in 2022. And this is going to facilitate and govern this process to distribute retroactive goods funding generated from revenue collected by the network. So like transaction fees and eventually sequencer auctions. Um, and the interesting thing here in my mind is that uh, these like quote unquote citizens of the citizen house are given this what they call a soul bound, non-transferable one of one NFT. Uh, and what makes this interesting is that instead of and the way I understand this, tell me if I'm getting it wrong, is uh, instead of uh, voting be, uh, being entirely determined by the number of tokens that you own. Now it's uh, a little more one-to-one -one per person. So if you own a million tokens, I own 10 tokens, which is you know, realistically probably what it's going to look like, then I think we have uh, a more, a more uh, fair amount of the vote instead of you having a million votes and I have 10 votes. So uh, there's a lot more here, but really, really interesting um, and exciting rollout by uh, the Optimism team. So congrats to them. What are your, what are your takes on this, Santu? Uh, we'll start from the top. I mean, I think uh, we, we talk about how important L2s are for Ethereum. Um, it is interesting the way that they structure the airdrop. I thought it was pretty thoughtful. Uh, you know, people that, uh, you know, I think it's like, like Badger is a very thoughtful, <clears throat> um, um, you know, airdrop. Um, I think it's very purposely designed to incentivize people to bridge over and continue to bridge over and interact with Optimism. Uh, one thing to point out, of course, is that Optimism has a relatively low TVL compared to Arbitrum, which is kind of the elephant in the room here, which is what is, does this put, put pressure on Arbitrum to then go and launch a token? I mean, I think Optimism doesn't even have 1 billion TVL, um, whereas Arbitrum has like 3.6. Uh, Arbitrum, of course, I think benefited from having launched, I think I think it was first, or like their testnet was was... Um, done in a more thoughtful way of thought. And full disclosure, I am an investor in Arbitrum. I am not in Optimism. We can get to how that happened and why they pissed me off. But look, I think I'm very happy for them. Um, wait, wait, wait. Op oh, hold on. Optimism pissed you off? What happened? Not there? them, but it was just like certain investors in this group like uh, have a tendency to block um, other investors. Um, you got blocked? And you I got blocked from the deal? Did you see the, did you see the deal early? I I'd spoken to one of their earlier investors and I don't know the team well. So, you know, my, that might've been the reason, but I, I had heard also that, you know, one of the round that was led by paradigm, um, they didn't allow any other funds to participate. And I thought that was a very interesting decision because in crypto, if you're a founder, I think you always want to bring in more and more into your cap table and not alienate. I felt it was just a very weird way to do it. And sometimes founders want to have more funds involved. Um, and then they kind of cave into the demands of investors, which I think is a terrible decision. I always encourage founders to like bring in as many as a diversified cap table. Um, and that wasn't the case. So I went out and funded Arbitrum. Santi, let me ask you this. Here's something I still don't understand. So back in, so a month ago, March 17th, uh, Paradigm and Andreessen 
Uh, here's a TechCrunch article. Paradigm and Andreessen back optimism at $1.65 billion valuation. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the uh, like equity versus token value here? So like the, the optimism yeah. got funded at a $1.65 billion valuation, but now you've got the token. So like, where mm-hmm. is the value accruing here? And what's the almost better investment? That's a really good question. Well, I'll start. The way I think of these is if you invest in the equity of the company, you have to believe that most of the value will, will assuming that there will be a token, most of the value, if not all the value, will accrue to the token, not equity. And what typically ends up happening, and this is my rough kind of mental model for this, is if you invest at a like $10 million valuation, then you kind of multiply that by two, two or two and a half to get to fully diluted network value. And the reason I'm, I'm coming to that is for the most part, if you look at a lot of these projects, Uniswap and a lot of these like initially only equity investments, they then distribute tokens to the company in this case, like Uniswap Labs, I guess, uh, or in this case, Optimism, the entity equity, the, the entity that holds the equity. And they get like anywhere from 30 to 40, no more than 50% of the tokens allocated to that entity which if you had invested in the equity, you have a piece of, right? And so, and you see the relationship there, right? If you invest at a $10 million valuation, equity valuation, and then that that entity gets 50% of the tokens, then, you know, that's how you, you get to like, a, a, essentially you divide by 0.5. And so like, i.e. 2x, right? Um, and so in this case, I would almost think that like, if the last valuation was, what did you say? 1.3 million? 1.3 billion? 1.65. 1.65, I would kind of rough math divide that by 0.4 to get to like a $4 billion valuation, fully diluted network value. Hmm. So that's going to be the interesting thing here. Um, of course, once the, the token is not live yet, so I'm sure there can be a bunch of scams. You can go and check on their medium. I think it was their medium announcement uh, or their sub stack. You can go in and check if your wallet is eligible uh, for tokens. Um but there's no token circulating yet. So everyone, please, you know, don't fall for scams. Uh, I never want to be first in claiming. I always want to see like other people go. Uh, there's like no, I think there's less benefit of being first. Um, your second question going back to it is <clears throat> how does value accrue is a more important one. Generally speaking, I, again, the equity versus token, I think you have to believe that everything kind of in the case of Uniswap, in the case of you know, Optimism, there's still going to be a, this entity, whether it's Uniswap Labs or Optimism Labs, that is probably continuing the development of the network. But most of the value in the case of Uniswap is sort of the swap fees. In the case of Optimism, it would be the some of the fees that are uh, collected. Um, and so you have to believe that the value is going to accrue to the token. The question is, do should L2s have like a token and what is the token kind of serve the purpose for here. Um, and that's a more difficult question to answer. I've had multiple conversations with people about L2s and the role in, in, in the token. Right. The token, because here I, it's, a you know, the pe- I think one thing people are, might be failing to realize is that the, the OP token is just a governance token for the Optimism Collective. It's mm-hmm. not actually taking away from Ethereum or ETH in any way. Like tra- transactions are going to continue to get paid. Uh, Transaction fees are going to get continue to get paid in ETH, not in this OP. At least that's my understanding. I'm pretty sure I'm right there. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 Which doesn't fully fit the narrative of maybe some of these L2s. 
Um, I, I think a lot of people thought that L2s, okay, everyone's going to drop a token, and then uh, maybe that actually ends up hurting ETH, uh, but it really helps the L2s, and the value starts to accrue away from ETH to the L2s uh, because the transaction fees would start to get paid out in that native token. I think this is a good move by, by Optimism, actually. I think it's not maximizing the OP value right out of the gate, maybe, um, but it's it's still aligning themselves really with the Ethereum community, which I think is which I think is a good move. Yeah, because keeping in mind what you said at the very beginning of this conversation, it's not like Optimism has like a monopoly on market share. They've got about 10% of the market share um, right now. And I think Arbitrum has about 50, 55% of the, of, of the market share. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a, your point is, is interesting in the sense of does this actually detract from Ethereum L1, meaning not Ethereum, does this detract from ETH? Um, the native right. token, the substrate that you use to interact in Ethereum. My view is very simplistically, and I'm, if I'm wrong, and um, people in the community, I mean, if, if you think this is kind of totally wrong take, please let me know. But I've always felt that we're still in the very super early stages of adoption. If what Polygon is doing, what Optimism and Arbitrum are doing, is just really increase the capacity of the network in a very meaningful way. And so you're still interacting with the L1 you're still you're still like increasing network demand uh, and block space and so at the end of the day if you you know with EIP1559 in particular it's just like you're yes more activities happening this L2 but at the end of the day you're rolling back you're bringing back some of that to L1 to settle ultimately um whether you're batching or in whatever frequency that you're doing but you're still coming back to the L1 to make that state transition and so ultimately like it's sort of like i think it's net positive no matter what sure there might be some nuances in the token design and the token structure if you're paying in native currency like like you know like polygon um or you know in in this case optimism or if starkware or arbitrum were to launch their tokens i ultimately think that it's net positive for for ethereum it just it just increases the ability and the i guess the interest perhaps of users to come to that L2 and interact versus going to perhaps another chain like BSC or Cosmos or Polkadot or whatever, they still remain faced with a choice. I'll put it this way, faced with a choice of going to an L2 or going to another chain like Solana, what do you think is better for Ethereum? Yeah. And so I, I think ultimately you want to keep users in L2 environment uh, and on the margins better than them yeah. totally rage quitting going elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, and they, what Optimism's done is build, I mean, they've built a great flywheel here, right? So uh, I think I think it's most interesting from a governance perspective um, with this kind of two collective model or two house model, but the economics, right? The, the Optimism protocol generates revenue today from transaction fees and eventually from auctioning off the right to sequence transactions. Um, AK like block space is valuable, right? And we all we all know that. And it becomes even more valuable as the ecosystem gets richer and richer and richer. Um, and then this protocol revenue gets uh, will be used to fund public goods through these rounds of like retroactive voting. And then this creates ecosystem-wide incentives to build for public benefit, right? And so now you've got this this uh, this flywheel, right? So you've got like demand for uh, OP block space drives uh, generation of like sequencer revenue, which drives funding via these like retroactive votes. Uh, which drives value to the users and builders, which drives more demand for OP block space. And so, yeah, they've built a really nice, really nice flywheel here. So I think one other interesting thing that they've done, I'd, I'd like to get your take on this mm -hmm. is uh, Uniswap, 
had this, um, they, they popularized the like one and done airdrop, right? You use our product and at some point when we launch this token or like we're, we're trying to get mainstream adoption of the token, we're going to do this airdrop and it's going to go, it's going to be one time, right? It's, this feels like a line in the sand where the, the kind of one and done airdrop model gets abandoned in favor of a more multi-round, like iterative airdrop machine. So I'd like to get your takes on that. Yeah, you're saying that that 14% that's um, reserved uh, for future airdrops. I think it's smart. Yeah, well, they really only did 5% right out of the mm -hmm. gate right now, and, <clears throat> and they reserve more for, for future airdrops. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ultimately, you want to have, look, it's going to get competitive, right? They're going first, other than Polygon, but like they're going first. It's really what's Arbitrum going to do now uh, and Starkware, um, but pr presumably Arbitrum is coming next. And so you want to, as always, as a protocol, you want to reserve as much flexibility to I mean, this is valuable currency to use down the road for BD, for partnerships, for referral right. programs, for whatever. And I've, I actually saw this uh, firsthand in, in, in Yearn. You remember, like, the extreme case is Wi-Fi that got fully, <clears throat> kind of there was nothing left for airdrops. The entire supply of Wi-Fi was fully allocated to people that farmed Wi-Fi early on. And then what do you do from that? And then, like, yeah. there was this whole discussion. I think ultimately what ended up happening is there was a mint that I was a big part of suggesting an increase in supply of Wi-Fi. And a lot of that was reserved for partnerships and referrals. And and, and I think uh, it is super valuable currency. The, the worst spot that you can be as a protocol is to not have any more of your native token to go around um, to be competitive in this environment. Yeah. Well, well, here's the end. Here's, here's my simple way of thinking about it is if let's say you're building a company, right? You're, you're building a venture back company, not in crypto. You would, you usually what happens is you allocate like maybe 10 or 15% for employees right out of the gate. And when you hire employees and you want to give them some equity, you might give a little equity. And let's say you want to give some, maybe you're a web three native person. You want to give some of your community, some, some of your equity. Um, you're going to give some of that pool to your to your community, but you would never give it all in one in one batch in one fell swoop, right? Would, you would never say, okay, we've we've been building this company for two years, now it's time to dump all of our ten to fifteen percent options pool onto our community and employees. You would say, all right, we've got this fifteen percent reserved. Why don't we give like three percent to employees and maybe some some big community members right now? But let's save some some dry gunpowder, right, for when we have more big employees that we need to hire and when we have more big community members that we want to actually uh, allocate this to. And so that's like, this feels more in line with uh, a model that does work decently well, which is like this almost employee options and mm -hmm. equity pool that's that has existed for years and years and years. Yeah, that, that's so. a great analogy, I think. I really like that optimism kind of found the maximum number of ways to reward as many on-chain behaviors as possible. So they didn't just say, okay, we're going to look at the optimism behaviors we're going to, they, they said we're going to look at all of the long-term loyal behaviors of a user in crypto and we're going to reward them um, and i think other projects have almost approached this as like how can we process of elimination take out people who have not interacted with us mm -hmm. and uh they, they almost penalize people who didn't do enough so um mm -hmm. yep. yeah I, I like that by the team yeah i think uh I, the key highlight here as you point out is still too early to tell um what is actually going to be governed? What is the the impact to Ethereum L1, like particularly ETH and value accrual layer? Um, the more important one here from an experiment standpoint, I think that I'm going to be looking at closely is this this kind of non-token holder centric DAO governance, multi-chamber, which I think is pretty interesting because it is less, it becomes less of a, 
you know, how a corporation is run, meaning I, if you own 10% of the company, you can, you can control it, you can sway it. If you own, it's more so like actual politics, which is every citizen has one vote and it will be pretty interesting to observe how that happens. Yeah. TLDR, this is a new approach to L2 decentralization and governance. Um, I think it's going to influence pretty much all other L2s. Um, as Vitalik said, this is possibly the biggest attempt at non-token holder centric DAO governance so far. And um, yeah, really excited to see where this goes. So congrats to the Optimism team. Uh, L2 summer. L2 summer, baby. Yeah. L2 summer. Um, all right. Let me pose a question before we get into the next topic, which is this board ape Instagram hack. Hmm. 2020 summer, DeFi summer really drove the DeFi market for the next 12 months. 2021 summer, Solana summer really kicked off the, the L1 battle right? Mm -hmm. 2022. What's the summer of 2022? Uh, rising inflation. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess, I guess like if I empire, go back the summer of empire, if, if I go back to my predictions that I just opened up now, I, I predicted that the merge was going to happen in Q2, which is Ethereum's transition to proof of stake. If you layer on top of that, this L2 kind of rising activity because of a token drop and and just more protocols like deploying and migrating to l2 i think that sets and this goes back to the episode with travis um just renewed interest in ethereum i felt that a lot of last year was um you know fair criticisms to ethereum but at the same time a lot of capital migrating away from the ethereum ecosystem you remember the battle between sue and kane in a very public manner uh, I think a lot of investors have been kind of neglecting um, Ethereum for a while. Um, and, you know, it's not perfect, but at the same time, it's hard to overlook it. And sometimes it's crazy because as an investor, you always want to go for the new shiny toy, meaning the new L1, right? And try to replicate that. And um, look, it's exciting. I, I get it. Some L1s are truly kind of at the cutting edge and trying to innovate. And, you know, it's, Ethereum was like that, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. But it has felt that a lot of the attention has shifted elsewhere. And I think this is positive to bring it back home. And, and, and I, I call it home because I'm, I'm mostly Ethereum centric. Um, that's no surprise there. But I think, um, yeah, the merge plus this L2 kind of wars, if you will. Um, I think it's the summer where Ethereum, um, it's, it's a new chapter for Ethereum. And it will be front and center. I think if you're in crypto and you're in Web3, I think it's yeah. going gonna to be hard to overlook. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I I would say the summer is categorized by two things. One is uh, Ethereum. Um, I think uh, I think Ethereum ends up having a, a really exciting summer. Um, and the second is all all of these crypto games that uh, I know you're you you know and love them, and you're very deep into. A lot of them are actually launching this summer, yep. and so that should make for a really exciting. Yeah, summer. I mean, uh, uh, we the episode with Kieran is coming out <clears throat> this week. Had a really yeah. good discussion with him. People know that I'm an investor. I'm very active. This is a project I spent the most amount of time, but the game launched and is out this week. And for the first kind of batch of testers and um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's very awesome. And it goes back to what Brooks, uh, that episode with Brooks, right? Who's building Nor? He said it very clearly. It's, uh, you know, if it, if you, if it's not fun, meaning if you get, if you have all the money in the world and you're still playing it, then that's the game. And I think that's what I feel that a lot of, to your point, a lot of these Web3 games launching soon are going to approximate or actually fulfill that characteristic, which is so important. Um, 
the last thing I'll say is I tweeted about this, like just on the gaming front. I think we should move away from saying play to earn and rebrand as play and earn because play to earn is, is just like a terrible like term that I think opens up to unfair criticisms um, of where this space is kind of truly headed. And it doesn't really capture the opportunity set here, which is you're playing and earning, but you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I like that. A um, couple days ago, uh, Board Ape. Um, let's see, what is it? So uh, the 25th, um, the morning of the 25th, the official Board Ape Yacht Club Instagram account was hacked. Uh, the hacker posted a fraudulent li- link to a copycat of the Board Ape website with a fake airdrop where users were prompted to sign a safe transfer form transaction. This transferred their assets to the scammer's website. Um, obviously, Board Ape immediately discovered the hack. They alerted the community. They removed the links from the compromised IG account and they attempted to recover the account. Uh, they made a post on Twitter, but it happened pretty quickly. And um, there were uh, several million dollars worth of NFTs hacked, um, which is really just really too bad. Uh, I think there were like four bored apes, six mutant apes, a couple of kennels, uh, a couple other just like really valuable NFTs were were transferred to the hacker. And based on the floor price of all of those NFTs, uh, it's looking like between like seven to $12 million worth of value from these NFTs that were hacked. So yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's really just a shame. And I think, um, uh, it, it is a reminder that when, when you make a mistake with bear assets, there's no getting it back, right? If I make a mistake with yeah. my Bank of America account and I send a wire to uh, a routing number that has the wrong thing, I can get that back, right? I can call B of A and, mm-hmm. or Chase or whoever it is and get that back. There's there's no getting this back. There's no calling MetaMask and, and getting this this transaction fixed. No, I, I agree. I think the 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 positive element of all this is that... It, it is becoming harder for a hacker to to kind of take leave and and with like funds. In this case, the NFT, you sell it, you try to withdraw those funds from a centralized exchange. Good luck. Okay, you can use Tornado, but I think as an industry, we were unfortunate, but we're we're through trial and error, we're becoming more like unified in that front to like okay, fine, hacks will happen. People are gonna get their keys compromised for whatever reason. Unfortunately, but um, you know it, it's hard. It's a transparent system, so it's kind of hard to to get away with it. So that's the upside of it. Of course, it's not fun. Uh, it happens. It can happen to anyone, really. Um, the the thing that Kobe highlighted, which I think is really smart, is we need uh, cu- better custody solutions for um, both you know ERC twenties and NFTs, and just bare assets in general. And so um, whether it's a multi sig, uh, whether it's you know, a trusted custodian, but ultimately like an EOA, which is this sort of like asset sitting in just one wallet that can, with a, a click of a button, you can like make a terrible mistake. Feels like a, feels like very much V1. And then right. we're going to be looking back on this and saying everything should be controlled by multiple. There should be some, a more human friendly logic to everything. Right. Of course it comes at the expense of speed at times. Right. When you're trying to, anyone that's been in DAO governance, yeah, good luck trying to corral like multi-sig votes over the weekend. It's it's impossible. But, you know, when you're, it just again, when you're, the, these are not low value items, right? And so sometimes it's okay to be slow on these things. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I think this is a big opportunity for someone to build like a custody solution for NFTs for, for like yeah. retail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I think there are two ways to go here. One is, um, so here's what Kobe said, by the way, for anyone who didn't see the Kobe tweet. He said, Yuga Labs or ApeCoin DAO should create a custody service ASAP. They're the only people that have the trust and distribution. They could give an official custodied ape nft that is not a redeemable receipt but acts as a proof of ape so that board ape owners can still flex with a hot wallet uh, users would kyc add their board apes to ape cage custody it's a nice marketing name kobe obviously marketing genius and in return get the same ape minted with some unique cage custody design users can show off that they own a cool ape with their own wallet with proof of ape receipt but they need to kyc to withdraw the ape uh, i think there's I think two, there are two things that should either happen. One is that, um, yeah, like coin, Coinbase cut, like Coinbase, and like you should be able to custody your, uh, you should be able to custody your NFTs in more of a Coinbase or a Kraken or a, a Gemini type of solution. Or what some of the big projects should do, I think, is partner with someone like a Fireblocks, Copper, Coinbase, Gemini, I'm going to upset someone because I forgot to mention them here, but one of the big custodians um, and basically launched whoever like a white we didn't label. mention is because we're in top of mind. And if that's <laughs> you go and build this goddamn thing, because you'll then be top of mind. Let's put yeah, it exactly. Or, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, no, but, but really like uh board ape could, could partner with Coinbase custody or with Gemini custody or with BitGo or with Fireblocks and create a white labeled, you would never know as Fireblocks behind the scenes, but create a board Ape custody solution. It really wouldn't be too hard. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, this is an opportunity, big, big opportunity. Uh, I think uh, I've been surprised. Um, <clears throat> I was going back to one of my initial conversations. Uh, so I, I've, I've owned board Apes before. Um, I didn't know you were an ape, an ape owner. So when, when did you buy and when did you flip? I minted. Sell? I minted. Oh, you I minted. minted. I minted and then also. Uh, oh, you sold, big, sold big, too early. That's why. That's why you're salty about the apes. <laughs> I just aesthetically they don't appeal to me as much as other NFTs. Sure. Um, sure. That being said, I'm I'm very impressed with what they built. This is I I will continue to say it, and I will be very upfront. This has been my ter my worst takes of my <laughs> predictions for 2022, which was that the punk floor would always be above board apes. Like, yeah, folks, anyone listening, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Thank you. I think about this a lot. I lose sleep over certain things, but hey, we live and we learn. I'm not perfect. What, what, what price did you sell sell your uh, your board ape at? <laughs> the first one was like a 30 ETH. Yeah. I felt it was toppy. 30, then then 40, and I was like, all right. And I was having a conversation with Tom. A shout out to Tom Delphi, and, and we both said like, it feels like NFT is is like it feels like irrational exuberance here. Like yeah, like. <laughs> Like it, there's a rotation that's going to happen imminently to like Ethereum, to DeFi, which has been totally out of favor. We still he are here. You have Azuki's and you have Moonbirds and you have. My, my, oh my God. Mike and I have this. We could Mike and I could have joined you on that conversation. We have this, we have this <laughs> talk every single day. I'm like, when's like, it going to end? It feels like it's a little too toppy in NFTs. And I was telling Mike that I was like, yeah, the, I, I've, I've been diving really deep into the, into the moon, Moonbirds project. And I was like, we should, we should like really cover NFTs more closely. And Mike's like, that's a top signal. I was like, you've been saying top signal in NFTs for 18 months now. Also, <laughs> like I at mean, some point. Now, now we have music NFTs and everyone's talking about music NFTs. Yeah. Yeah. Total to be fair, I've just stopped paying attention to this stuff. I mean, it's I pay attention to it because I invest in NFT infrastructure. Right. But you know, the so last you're time not, I, you're, you're not buying, you're you're not like I'm not buying. Minting Most people think that I'm collecting. Not, like I've outsourced my no. collecting to like Pleaser DAO because yeah. That's just like we go for really high value stuff that is iconic to internet culture. And that's it. Like 
I own a decent percentage of pleaser and I'm happy with that. And like, I'm involved, I'm in the, yeah. I'm the council. Like I, this is, but uh, ask me last time I kind of went in degen wise and like minted stuff. Yeah. We interrupt your programming with a special announcement. Empire has a new sponsor. Santi and I are very excited to welcome BitMEX. That is right. BitMEX is back. The exchange we all know and love is back and better than ever. We're going to be dropping a couple updates on BitMEX over the next couple of months. This first one is a big one. Coming soon, BitMEX is rolling out their spot exchange and they're giving away $500,000 in Bitcoin to new users. That's right. Listening to Empire has got the alpha. Santi and I got you $500,000 in Bitcoin going to new users. For the OGs, I don't think I need to tell you why you need to use BitMEX. It's a love of the game kind of thing. You respect crypto, you use BitMEX. For those newer to the in uh, industry, BitMEX has a long and great history of innovation since their launch in 2014. They created perps and a whole lot more. Now they're back, they're better than ever, they're making waves. So. What do you need to do? Go sign up for the BitMEX Spot Exchange for a chance to win some of the $500,000 in Bitcoin that BitMEX is giving away. B-I-T-M-E-X, B-I-T-M-E-X.com. That's BitMEX.com. Go make it happen. Now, let's get back to the show. So, so you're not paying attention to like, like Aku, like Aku Dream, like Aku Tars just launched or Aku Tars, whatever they call it, Aku Dreams. Yeah. And like, obviously Moonbirds just went up from like a two to like what, 35 30, or something. 35, like you're not, yeah. you're not paying attention to this. I'm paying attention. I'm not like. You're not, you're not participating. I'm not participating. No. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night. It's just like, I'm reading this really good book um, by Robert Greene. He's a little bit Machiavellian, but it's like laws of human nature it's just good because it has a lot of historical references about characters and archetypes and it's like you gotta Did just he write the what the 48 laws of power he, he wrote the 48 laws of power which yeah. are super machiavellic you know people read yeah. this and like start applying it i'm like and sometimes you're like chill like i know you're applying rule 47 right now like back off <laughs> um but he, he, it's dense and so i think like you know one of the like the one of the most recent like chapters that I was reading is like Newton people forget but like Newton like got terribly rugged uh investing in like the South Sea company or something like Isaac Newton gents right. like ladies and gents the guy that like the apple fell and he like developed all these kind of like really in foundational piece in physics he uh, was a terrible investor uh and like he fell trapped to like FOMO and like you're literally reading this and it's like it, it happens to everyone yeah. And my takeaway to that is like, I, I just have found comfort in like sticking to what I know best and trying to perfect, perfect my edge. And like, it is very, very hard for me to really kind of focus on that and build the themes and do what I think do best and like participate in every single mint and like right. keep track of it. It's just like impossible. And I, I've sort of like come to terms that I'm not, I'm not going to a catch them all B be the first, but if, Look at Board Apes as an example. Yeah, I was terribly wrong there. My lesson there is pay attention to what's happening. And it's funny because I've, if you if you go back and like pretty much every episode that we've recorded or that I've been a part of, not just here, I talk about Board Apes, of how yeah. interesting it has been and how they've went to market and they build a community and they're laying a bunch of services around that. And it's attracting, capturing the imagination of people that are not in crypto and like over 50% of their people in the community it's this is their first thing related to crypto maybe their only one 
And for me, like I should have just paid attention to what I was saying, you know, because maybe right. someone that was listening to this probably went out and bought a board ape at 20 and 30 and 40. And here we are at 147. Um, and that's been my learning. Um, and so yeah. my takeaway there is, you know, I'm not going to be first in many of these things, but at least you asked me if I pay attention. Yeah, I pay attention to moonbirds. Yeah, I'm paying yeah. attention to Azukis because Azukis are attracting a very interesting crowd. And so, like, you know, um, keep an open mind about high, high, how high <laughs> these floors can get, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I, I thought it was toppy for board apes at 50. You should um, participate in every part of crypto. So you should go buy NFTs and you should you should experience what it's like to to like bridge assets from L one L1 into the other. You should go play a crypto game. You should play a couple of crypto games, right? You should trade on a DEX. You should also uh, get a ledger and see what it's like to use a ledger. You should also hold some, some crypto with like a centralized service and see what that onboarding is like. You should have... Uh, you should you should participate in every aspect of the crypto ecosystem. You should. That being said, you should minimize FOMO and trying to play at per every aspect of the crypto ecosystem perfectly. Um, and the reason for this is like if you're always chasing NFTs or if you're like trying to yield farm perfectly, there's only so much mental bandwidth a human can have. Uh, that that that's time that's taken away from like your your most valuable project, whatever that may be. So I don't even know what it is for you, but for me, it's Blockworks, right? So mm -hmm. like every time I'm chasing another NFT or minting or like yield farming to try to optimize my optimism airdrop, like that's time that's taken away from me building building Blockworks. And like for anyone who wants to build something impactful and long-term, like all of those times you're chasing something else in crypto is is time that you're not actually building something impactful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I think your point's a very good one, which is, I think hobbyists are early and Chris as a great Chris from May 16 C Chris Dixon, yeah. uh, he says, you know, technology really starts at the fringes by these hobbyists, whether it's like right. radios or the internet and crypto very much is like that too. And I think hobbyists are just generally curious, curious beings above average. They have above average curiosity. And in crypto, I think you want to be experimenting with a lot of things to, to hone in on what you do best. Uh, a lot of people come and ask, Hey, how do I get involved in this space? I'm like, well, I mean, you just named 10 things that they could do. Right. Um, and in, in that process, you're going to probably uncover things that are not working very well in the, in the space. And so for that reason, I think, um, you should always maintain a level of curiosity and over time, you right. just kind of ossify and solidify certain frameworks and areas of interest. Um, and I think that's in the space for a while. And so like, I think like for me, I do early stage pretty actively. This is what I do. And I'm trying to find the next Ave, the next step, and the next Deluvium. And it's kind of impossible for me to really kind of do that to the best of my ability by participating in every single NFT drop. It's impossible, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's move on to another piece of news, which is uh, stable coins. Um, mm -hmm. It looks like when something happens in crypto, usually other people, uh, something happens and it goes well. Other people follow suit. And uh, shout out to our, our buddy Do Kwan uh, over at Terra has done something really interesting with UST and, and other builders are, are um, keeping an eye on that and, and actually following suit. So two announcements. One is Justin Sun of Tron announced that he is launching, or I guess they are launching, a Tron DAO is launching uh, USDD, which is a um, decentralized algorithmic stablecoin that is going to be pegged to the dollar uh, and they will have $10 billion worth of crypto 
uh, that they're using as collateral. Uh, if the $10 billion sounds familiar, it's because, uh, or it's, uh, I don't want to say because, but it's similar to uh, Doquan's plans to acquire $10 billion of Bitcoin to serve as the reserves for UST. Uh, I think the interest rate on this for what he said was, I've got this somewhere, I think it's... um. 30? Uh, the Tron Dow, yeah, will 30%. administer a reserve with a 30% interest rate. 30%. Uh, yeah, yeah, 30%. And then on the other side of things, you've got um, Ilya, and uh, who we recently had on the podcast, great episode, Near uh, is launching um, USN, which is another stable coin. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is actually going to have a 10% interest rate to start, but maybe go up to like 20%, they said. Um, mm-hmm. What are your What are your thoughts on on all of these stables starting to hit the market? Um, I, I mean, I, I haven't looked closely. Uh, I mean, 30% doesn't sound like risk-free or sustainable, <laughs> but sure. Fine. Oh, uh, maybe it's, it's sort of the, 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 the gimmicky, like clickbait flashed savings rate. And then they drop it to like 10 or five or, or one. Um, right. but, um, no, look, I mean, every ecosystem needs to have a robust kind of stable coin offering and whether it's native built by, by the team or, or it's some, some variation of, um, I mean, I still remember talking to the maker team, uh, over time and in stable coins, I've invested in a few all across the spectrum of, you know, some like circle and, and looking at that and looking at, you know, what they were building, which has built an incredible business off of like the consortium of USDC to, you know, algorithmic stable coins and everything in between maker kind of as a senior model, like, and the maker team was like, there's kind of, when you think about it, there's really no benefit of going first in, yeah. in designing a stable coin. Uh, that is not like centralized uh, because it can be easily copied. And of course there's distribution and moats and what have you. But if you're a brand new L1 or that's taking off, like it just has opens up the possibility of someone copying elements of what's been working in Ethereum and then just bringing it back. I think that's what you're seeing here. Um, I think it's net positive. Ultimately, Uh, I I think that having stablecoin diversity is, I've always felt the like stablecoin centralization, meaning, it is kind of the Achilles heel of the industry, right? I mean, you shut mm-hmm. off USDC and like DeFi collapses. Um, I wonder why more people are not talking about the systemic risk, perhaps that Terra might pose to some to Bitcoin. They're going to have a lot of Bitcoin in their balance sheet. Like, what, what happens if they have to sell Bitcoin immediately to stabilize the peg? Like, okay, Bitcoin maximalists like Pomp are like, woohoo! You know, we but have the thought natural- is that it's like perfect collateral, so that there's always a buyer. Um, right. There's no, 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 I get that. I, yeah. I, I get that. <laughs> but when you try to liquidate like four billions of dollars of Bitcoin, like in a flash. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, that's not going to be fun. Um, you know, it's like if Satoshi all of a sudden moved his coins, like all hell breaks loose. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think these just, again, I'm not like being critical. It's just like, there's a higher concentration of a Bitcoin holder here, which is the Terra like LFG or whatever, um, if they need to kind of recapitalize and sell some of those reserves to stabilize the peg, then, well, that's going to have a, you know, that, that might not be as fun for a, a Bitcoiner looking um, at that. Um, but yeah, or a ramble I'm saying is these are interesting things. I don't know how you, Tron's going to sustain 30%. Uh, if Justin's listening, we'll love to have you on and just talk about this. Um, and I think you went to Wharton. So, you know, I think like, 
you know, thirty percent is not necessarily risk free or sustainable. So uh, we'd love to have a senior you say economist. He, you think he, he went to Wharton? You think? He, uh, he, I, I think he went to Wharton. Yeah, I would love to have the <laughs> senior economist in the Tron Foundation come in and, and enlighten us on, on how this is sustainable. Uh, and he, ju- he just <laughs> followed me on Twitter last week, so now I can DM him. So uh, okay, great. Yeah, I'll, fine. I'll DM him. Bring him on. Great. Let's bring him on. Or his senior, you know, economic <laughs> advisor, whoever that cool. may be. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, I mean. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, this, this kind of feels like a rerun of like the L1, you know, when all the L1 stuff was playing out last summer after Solana ran up and then Avalanche and like things got really, really hot. Um, and then all the, the, basically all these ecosystem funds announced because it was like, oh, there needs to be a shit ton of capital that goes into these L1 ecosystems. So let's fundraise, uh, to build on these ecosystems. Now it's like, oh, all these new ecosystems need a stable coin. Um, I don't actually think they all need a stable coin, but they all think that they do. And so you're going to get the near stable coin and, and the Tron stable coin. And the question just becomes like, maybe Avalanche doesn't go build the Avalanche stable coin because they're now in bed with the Terra ecosystem because mm-hmm. Doe made a really smart move buying Avalanche for the, for, uh, as collateral. So like, isn't if the I'm, analogy here, like every country has its own currency. Yeah, but that's a horrible model. <laughs> it's a, uh, Wait, unless you're a central I just, banker i just you, i just said it was it. an analogy like, i wasn't endorsing oh the analogy I was it's, just a, saying, it's a shit it's yeah, a shit model yeah. for anyone that's traveled yeah these are all yeah. shit coins like yeah. all of them most of there's them there's this amazing coins. post by wences casaris founder of zappo i still think he is the best like thinker about bitcoin in the world uh, it's, it's a shame. He sold, he sold, it, he sold Zappo and uh, tur- it turned into Coinbase custody. So what we know of mm-hmm. is Coinbase custody is actually Zappo, XAPO. But he wrote this piece maybe four years ago or five years ago or something. And mm-hmm. he was like, what would happen if Bitcoin was the global reserve, not the global reserve currency, but the global reserve layer of the world? So everything would actually get priced. Um, it would basically become the pricing mechanism for which all prices are quoted in. So instead of like, when you say, what is the yen trading at today, right? You, you, you quote it in like us dollars. Um, but if you say, what's the us dollar trading in, it's like you quote it in another currency. There's, and it's like, all right, what is the GDP of Indonesia? What is the price of oil? Like it's all kind of quoted in us dollars right now, I would say, um, or it's all quoted in, in another currency or in the local currency. But what if Bitcoin was like this global reserve mm-hmm. pricing mechanism? Satoshis, almost, yeah. For which, Everything yeah, gets priced in Satoshis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wences yeah. is uh, by far one of the best thinkers. I, I would definitely agree with you. I would encourage everyone to go, and maybe we can link him in the show notes. Like, he just cr- He's just a true visionary. I think he was very active in the R Bitcoin channel too. And like, um, yeah. Yeah, he spent, I think he spent a 250, before he invested, he spent like $250,000 of his own money um, trying to hack Bitcoin before he ever made a purchase. So, yeah. There's, one time he, I, went he, to I think, an- has also been in the episode with Kieran, I was talking about like clusters of vibrant Web3 crypto communities. Argentina yeah. is very much one. You, and yeah. I think in large, in large um, credit to Wences, who's Argentinian. And I think he was a true luminary and inspired a bunch of other people to join. Like, you know, you have Open Zeppelin, you have uh, a bunch of the core develop core devs in a number of uh, projects um, are, that are Argentinian. Um, a lot of like core core researchers um, and white hackers are in Argentina. So. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, the other one is Australia, uh, of course, but I can't think of like, perhaps those are the two most vibrant kind of communities that yeah. I've seen clusters. 
I don't know if you can think of any others. No, but that's a good, yeah. I mean, he's done an amazing job. It's funny. I went to this. Um, the last, one of the last things of uh, interesting news here is Osmosis um, is going to vote in Axelar today um, as the kind of canonical bridge and uh, like ETH EVM bridge. Uh, and there's been like these several months of debate on which bridge Osmosis should choose as their canonical bridge to bring these like EVM assets into the Osmosis ecosystem. So you had like, Wormhole or or Gravity Bridge or Nomad or Axelar. Um, well, I don't think we should talk too much about this because Sunny from Osmosis is uh, is going to actually come on the show and we should let him talk about this. But one issue, I think this is I think this is really important and it actually shows why bridges are sometimes not amazing um, when you have several different bridges. I don't know if you've actually looked at this, but like the UI, the, the UX is horrible right now. Mm -hmm. There's like eight, let's say you have like, let's say you have like USDC gets bridged over and there's like eight different bridges. There's like USDC A, USDC B, USDC C, USDC D, USDC AA, USDC BB. And the UX is so freaking confusing. It's like, imagine if you um, went into your bank account and there was like, or you went onto Coinbase and you had like 12 different kinds of Bitcoin or you, had, you went into your bank account and there's like eight different kinds of the US dollar. So uh, that's, I, I'm excited to see that actually get fixed when they when they kind of put their foot in the ground with, uh, with one bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add here other than very excited to have both Sunny, maybe... Uh, Zaki or someone else come and, and talk about this. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should bring on Tarun as well. Um, because mm -hmm. like, so one, one thought is if Osmosis attracts the majority of EVM assets, then Osmosis kind of becomes like the default Cosmos hub. Um, so I'm curious about what the implication, so everyone would say, okay, that's bullish for Adam. I've heard Tarun, who we've had on the show, call Adam the doge of L1 tokens. <laughs> um, so I'd like to bring, maybe we bring Tarun on and show gets a little feisty. So, but that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, last two pieces of news, uh, is just Fidelity announced they're going to be adding Bitcoin as a 401k option later this year. Uh, there are 23,000 companies that use Fidelity's retirement services. Uh, they can now add Bitcoin to their employees' investment options. Employees can then transfer up to 20% of their balance into a Bitcoin holding account and divert up to 20% of their paycheck contributions there going forward. If this was in a bull market, this would be blasted around Twitter and people would be going crazy. This was pretty quiet news. Mm. Um, well, that quiet just amongst the crypto community, but to be fair, five independent people sent this to me that are not in crypto. Mm -hmm. I said, holy shit, this is a big thing. And I said, yeah, one yeah. of them. Yeah, very, yeah. And, and yeah. I was like, yep, it is. You know, it, it's, almost it's almost reminiscent to <clears throat> um, when the ERISA or ERISA laws got changed and allowing pension funds to invest in in alternatives, including venture, and it just was a huge detonator for uh, pension fund resources allocated to the asset class. Yep. Um, you know, in many ways, like you're seeing that in real time. Like, you know, uh, okay, we've had like, to be fair, we've had 401k structures and independent smaller kind of startups. I think there's a few that allow you to Alto IRA and a bunch of others that allow you to do this, but not nowhere near the scale of Fidelity. Like Fidelity probably has the lion's share um, of like employee, like 401k plans through your employer, right? Like yep. uh, when I was at JP Morgan, it was Fidelity. When I was at another, like an adventure fund, it was Fidelity, right? And so like, um, this is huge, huge because right. you're going to be covering like the vast majority of the U.S. population probably has Fidelity 401k. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, this is really exciting news. Um, and just speaking of exciting news and more capital flowing into the industry, huge shout out to uh, our good buddy Hasib over at Dragonfly. Dragonfly is one of the best crypto funds, um, at least in my opinion. Um, and uh, they just raised a $650 million fund. Uh, this is their, I think, third fund, uh, $650 million. They brought in several Ivy League endowments, Invesco, um, an undisclosed Southeast Asia state-owned investment company, Sequoia invested in the fund, uh, Sequoia China, uh, KKR, Tiger. Um, I remember talking to them a little while ago. They were originally planning on raising $500 million for the fund. Uh, and so clearly they exceeded the goal of five hundred and topped out at six fifty. Um they uh Dragonfly's like brief history, they they raised a hundred million dollar fund back in 2018, $225 million fund in 2021. So just yeah, they've had a massive amount of success. And uh, actually just speaking to several founders uh recently, a lot of them say that Dragonfly is one of the most helpful companies on their cap table. Uh, it's probably because a lot of their team comes from like a uh an engineering background instead of an investing background. And yeah, so just amazing work by Dragonfly. Big shout out to to Tom over there and Hasib and the entire team. Really nice yeah. work. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, my interaction with Dragonfly has been super positive and I would echo that as well. Yeah. So all right, man. I think that's it. I think so. Um, well, per tradition, I recommended a book, but but um, what any recent shows or books that you've read um, that are interesting? I'm listening to a podcast right now called I actually hate recommending this podcast because it, the title is so freaking cheesy. It's called How to Take Over the World, which is like, mm. oh, it's so cringe in my mind. How to Take Over the <clears throat> World. More it's actually empire, you mean? Stop. I like that name. <laughs> By the way, rebrand Empire coming soon. Shout out to our design team. They've been working super hard. So excited to get your uh, your uh, your pretty face on the cover and stuff like that. So how to take over the world is this podcast. It's a history podcast. My favorite history podcast. They just did episodes on they basically do these like two to three hour episodes on different like figures. So I'm listening to the Walt Disney one right now. Uh, let me scroll through some of the past ones. They did like three hours on Napoleon. They did three hours on Alexander the Great. Um, I really, they did a great one on Putin actually. So they had a great mm -hmm. one on Putin, Tom Edison, Frederick Douglass. Um, I've listened to pretty much all of these, Julius Caesar, Rothschild, Steve Jobs. Yeah, Napoleon, just like, I would, uh, for the history nerds out there, I'd really recommend the show. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting, uh, I'm gonna check that, I love yeah. history. There's one that's really good called um, Hardcore History. Hardcore History. Right? Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Hardcore history is just like it's like Dan Dan Carlin. I've listened to all those. It's Dan Carlin's, mm -hmm. and like it's it's a bit dense in my mind. It's like uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, like right? Hours, it's like, like you want to listen to um about like uh World War Two. It's like you're getting a fourteen hour podcast. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a, like a college a, course. It's a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have one. Uh, I started yesterday, okay. so I not partial endorsement. Um, Apple TV. Um, this, they're doing like a lot of these features around like sports, like athletes. Uh, one just came out called, they call me magic, which is a history of magic Johnson. Uh, and I watched half of the first episode last night. It looks pretty cool. Um, I'm a sucker for these, like, you know, like the last dance, I think is one of the best documentaries out there. Obviously the history of the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, um, you know, the Lance Armstrong documentaries, uh, free solo, um, like all these like documentaries, I was like people that are at the peak of their discipline. I get, I'm fascinated by because I want to learn how they did it. Uh, and magic Johnson is up there. He's pretty up there. So anyways, really good. So check it out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Here's a question for you. One thing that um when you read when you when you see these people who are like peak performers, I think one thing that's not always clearly shown is just the uh, amount of sacrifice. And I'm not talking sacrifice like mm-hmm. hard work. Like everyone everyone's peak is like hard you know, works works their ass off and stuff. I'm talking like if you look at Free Solo, I forget the guy's name, but like he is Alex or something. He's not afraid to die, right? And like that's a different level. Like, you mean like of, the part of his brain that recognizes emotion is totally shut off? Is off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, um, you know, Steve Jobs. People look at Steve Jobs like, oh, I would love to be Steve Jobs. Like that dude is a fucking asshole. And he built an amazing, he built Apple, which is like the coolest company of all time. And the most, one of the most impactful companies in history. But like uh, he also was a absolute dick and like had a kid and I don't, I'm pretty sure like didn't take care of that kid or something mm-hmm. like that or mm-hmm. like was a, an asshole to the the mother of that child so like mm-hmm. I think there's always sometimes uh for like these hyper 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 the most successful people mm-hmm. in the world there's 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 always something like that I, I found yeah uh like I, I I there's a great interview by um Elon Musk's former wife uh and I found a lot of comfort in that because she said I kind of always knew that Elon was going to do his thing and it wasn't easy being um, uh, his wife. Um, But seeing Elon do what he did was like rewarding for me. But was he the best husband? Probably not. Like, and so it was just like, uh, it's interesting to read that because I I think ultimately you're building a company, like you, you, you want to continue to perfect what you do. Like I do think that I, I, I'm, I'm not a believer that you have to be an asshole to be successful. I think we over glorify that aspect, which is, oh, Steve Jobs was an asshole. Um, Jeff Bezos, tough to work with. Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, incredible, like very, very demanding right. of his other teammates. I don't think you need to be an asshole. I think I think there's a fine line between being an asshole and demanding the best of people as a leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the best scene, this is why I think the last dance is, and I'll, I'll end it here. The last dance for me was really a good documentary to the point that I recommend it to anyone that I hired to verify. Anyone that came to verify was like, just watch this. Because our role here is to seek perfection. It's a single, like, as a franchise, it was like being able to replicate what the Chicago Bulls did. is like, no, do you want to be number two? No one fucking remembers number two. You want to be number one. And you, what's most exciting about this industry is there is a wide open expanse to capture this. And yeah. like, it's it's incredibly exciting. There's going to be sacrifices to that. And there's a great yeah. scene. There's a great, great scene where they're interviewing like a lot of uh, Jordan's teammates. And they all saying, yeah, you know, Michael had a thing of like, he knew what your weakness was and he would exploit it. He would constantly put pressure on it for you to fix it. And they were like, it was really, really hard to be with Michael. Sometimes it was super to the point that it was just drive you nuts. And then at the end, all of them, all of them looked down with their hands and they raised hands like they have the five, five rings and no one could take that away from you. Now, was Michael an asshole? I don't know. But I think that yeah. some people tend to think... My conclusion is you can be very demanding without being an asshole. You can't control how other people might perceive that. But like, if your intention is right, which is let's actually be the best basketball team out there. Right. Let's actually build the best media company out there. Let's actually be the best fund out there. If you're not willing to be on board, then you might as well leave now. Like drop yeah. the towel. I mean, win, win, winning, winning and being number one solves a lot of things. So with that, here's your call to action. We're trying to build the crypto's best <laughs> podcast. Go hit the, 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 the subscribe button. Yo, Santi, I'm trying to win, baby. I'm trying to win. We're trying like to build it. the best podcast. Uh, uh, hit that like. If you're not willing to you know, ask for it, then uh, you're not going to I am reading the comments. So. At one point, we'll share the story, <laughs> but I am reading the comments, folks. Oh, we also moved to a new YouTube channel. Um, we split the macro and the crypto 
the crypt, the, the macro people did not like Santi and me. It was really, really getting in our heads. So someone uh, said we, like, <laughs> do these people really, is this all they do for a living? Like how miserable are they? I'm like, yeah. yo dog. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, is all I do. For yes. A this is all I do for a living. So anyways, all right. Hit that subscribe. If you're on YouTube, like, or no, follow it. Give us a five stars on Apple and Spotify <laughs> and we will see you guys next week. All right, my friend. Great being here. Right. Good to be back. Take care. Oh,